0: We are delighted to be once again brought to you by The Athletic. The Athletic is a subscription journalism service providing the best coverage of Manchester United and more from writers like Laurie Whitwell, Oliver Kay, Adam Crafton, David Ornstein and Daniel Taylor. Their world-class team of writers is brought to you completely ad-free on their app. There's no ads, no annoying pop-ups, and they go really in-depth on a huge range of topics around all different aspects of football To start a seven-day free trial and receive 50% off your yearly subscription, meaning it works out to just £2.50 a month, head to theathletic.co.uk slash nqatpod. That's theathletic.co.uk slash nqatpod. Well, there's no question that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is influenced as a manager by Alex Ferguson because, my goodness, that was some Fergie-esque FA Cup third round scenes right there. Got
1: the tumboler out, turned it around a few times. Although, uh, to be fair, he had some uh, restrictions in who he could play with. Uh, Paul Pogba injured or faking it, depending on what you believe McTominay out. Lingard
0: and Marcy Albert ill during the week. McTominay either injured or faking it, depending on who you believe. He's going to start this <laughs> Angling rumour. for that
1: move to Spurs. Yeah, can't wait to or get Leicester, out. Or Leicester,
0: you know, where young
1: players thrive. <laughs> or Dortmund.
0: Um, uh, as a result, an unsurprisingly disconnect. I mean, it's not like our first team played with any fluency against Arsenal. And our third team or whatever this is was just absolutely... Devoid of uh, the ability to create clear-cut chances and um, a uh, zero-shots-on-target performance.
1: Yeah, it did, did create 12 shots, mm-hmm. although I haven't actually seen the shot map of this one, so I expect there's quite a few from Andreas uh, from some distance, somewhat speculative shots. Um, none on target, although there was the one that uh, shaved the post from matter and the one onto the crossbar from... Marcus Rashford, none, neither of those counters on target. But, uh, I mean, generally, this was a performance devoid of too many ideas. Slightly better than the one at Arsenal. I mean, United did have quite a lot of possession and looked good with that possession in the first half. Second half, obviously, Wolves came back into it quite strongly, changed up their system and personnel and, uh, and were good for at least spells of of that second half, weren't they? But, guys, it's going to be hard to talk about this for much uh, because it was it just felt so flat from United, just better than the the trip to Arsenal, I suppose. It, is that a good thing? Yeah. <laughs> well it's a good thing, but
0: it's not a good enough thing, is it? And and the sort of worst case scenario I really of a draw. I mean, one of the things that I think is interesting as a point of discussion is let's assume let's sort of take those injuries out of the mix. I mean not take them out altogether, but assume he could have played Fred and Rashford, say. he made some big decisions in terms of the level of prioritisation of the FA Cup. And I, I think that's kind of understandable. I wonder how much of that is about actually... Because I was thinking, OK, well, we've got City on Tuesday, but it seems to be a bit delusional to put a load of eggs into the basket of us beating Man City over two legs. But then I was thinking, actually, is this really just about the Europa League and about flash-forwarding? fast-forwarding six or eight weeks? We're back in the Europa League. That structure actually being out in the fa cup is a bit of a relief to the club
1: well look uh this was the fifth game in 10 days fourth game in 10 days sorry so a busy period there's a lot of football coming up in january as well with those the replay now and uh two carling cup ties carabao cup ties whatever sponsor thank you at pod forward slash carling for 50 percent off your annual subscription so no no not yet not too soon Boo. Anyway, any, Anyway, look, a lot of football. And so you can understand why he's got to try and rotate and and use his resources. then they are pretty thin, although I have to say United don't have that many injuries, just some really key ones in areas where we're not very well stocked. Uh, and uh, then he's got one eye on Tuesday, I'm sure, with City. It's not as if it's throwing all eggs in one basket, but we're we a bit closer to a trophy there. A little bit. I mean obviously the quality of our position, but we could get City in the next round or Liverpool in the next round of the FA
0: Cup. Yeah, no, abs- absolutely. Uh, and- so do you think do you think ultimately it was the the right move to to get the Tom Bowler out in that way? Well, so so who
1: um who was in the side that we probably wouldn't like if we were playing our strongest side, who wouldn't have been in there? There's I mean, Romero, but he plays in Cup games, doesn't he? Brandon Williams, we've all been calling for him to to play, and he actually did very well against uh, Treore didn't he? Um, in fact, he's looked very good every time he's played, Brandon Williams. Fred was rested, but he played every minute of that Christmas period. Yeah. Playing playing well, but he's now become a really key player. Matic was in, but there's no choice. Just haven't got any midfielders left, Um, I guess. Rash- the Rashford rest was probably needed. I mean, he does go through these spells where he's looking burnt out and he's been so good for us recently, you want to keep him fresh. Yeah. Especially with City coming on Tuesday. So
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean I think all, all of those things are, are really sound arguments and and also and and I guess that that those circumstances explain it really. Um and also the level of priority that the FA Cup is, which is clearly like a really long way down the the list. And and that was the only one where it felt a bit that seems like a weird A slightly weird decision but I suppose he has to back himself to think actually we can get top four which seems like a very unlikely turn of events but obviously he can't think of it like that
1: yeah but five points behind Chelsea Chelsea aren't consistent Spurs aren't consistent Arsenal aren't consistent so there's a spot there yeah it's just it's just United dropping dumb points all over the place. Yeah, we're we're uh, we're
0: terrible. Like we're we're like we are not we're not finishing fourth. I, it's much, I, to me it's almost like way more likely that one of those three inconsistent sides finishes. I mean I know we're we're fifth at the moment, so you know. Hey, look, uh, we've we've
1: spoken on the pod quite a few times over the years, uh, and in fact, uh, when Robin van Persie joined, we made this very point, and I think we'll talk about him a little bit today, H- won't we? Heck yeah. <laughs> that uh, world-class players make a massive difference to the team. So if United went out and bought a, a technical, creative, chance-producing number 10 and spent 50, 60, 70 million in January...
0: 70, 80, a, 70 80, 90, 100. Whatever it might... Ma- you know, we
1: are the biggest swinging dicks in football anywhere on the planet. It's about time Edward, Woodward whipped it out, uh, I think. And look, I don't normally talk like this, but it's so desperate. And it's just such an obvious failing. And and maybe you could say, hey, we're even more desperate for central midfielders now with McTominay and Pogba out for some time, um, maybe forever, uh, if you believe the papers. And uh, so it's just such an important... And, and it could be a decision that saves United 100 million, because if United are out of the Champions League next season, there's a 40-plus million pound hit or deduction on the Adidas contract. There's all the broadcasting fees, which, depending on where you get to, could be between 40 and 60 million plus matchday income, and and I don't think I think you'll find that the attendances uh, at Europa League games aren't that awesome. Um, so, much like some teams go out and spend a lot of money in the in the winter window to stave off relegation, spending 100 million pounds now might make very good business sense.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, so here's a quick rattle-through of the things that I noted down about this game that are vaguely noteworthy in one way or another. Um Romero made a really good save off corner early yeah. on. A really good save with very, his right very hand. Very good
1: reaction with his right hand. Yeah.
0: Um there was one really nice layoff to Greenwood from Greenwood to Chong, which had me thinking about Mason Greenwood playing at number 10, which is something I'm probably not going to shut up about until it happens and goes disastrously wrong. Um he then came out, came up with a beautiful Marseille turn and span the defender around the other way but unfortunately that was like on the wing by the halfway line rather than on the penalty spot. Um there was one really beautiful ball from Andreas Pereira to Dan James on the wing which I thought was notable because we we give Pereira a lot of criticism so should probably praise him. There's the second highest for expected assists per 90 in the United squad at 0.22 which is not a not a big number. Um but no and and to be fair it's higher than
1: the amount of expected assists I expect him to produce, yeah, that, which is about 0.00. Yeah,
0: but that's I thought it was interesting, like, especially like that's higher than Martial, that's higher than Rashford, that's higher than players that we might think create more chances. So I thought that was kind of a notable thing. Anyway, um, uh, Maguire put in a really nice slide tackle on Adama Traore and you just don't ever see slide tackles anymore. Um,
1: no, Maguire spent half the match sort of limping. I yeah. do wonder, talking about injuries, whether he's okay or
0: not. Mm, it would be interesting. But if he's not okay, so you mean Tuanzebe's fit? Play Tuanzebe and Lindelof. It's not the worst disastrous mm, thing tw- in the world.
1: Tuanzebe's got a hamstring injury. Oh. Um, yeah, you'd be talking about Phil Jones on Tuesday. Okay, well...
0: <laughs> if, if, I mean, it looked like the right
1: hip to me with Maguire, and it could just be a knock and he can run it off and it'll be okay.
0: Here is hoping because Phil Jones on Tuesday would be real sad times. Um, there was one really nice back heel from Brandon Williams to try and set James free. That was just before the penalty shout, I think. Um, which was, No, no, that was a different one. That was when Williams didn't get across the Wolves defender. And I don't know why that was check, but it was. Um, I think the simple hand ball rule, it might be bad in some ways. It might be like sort of weirdly unfair, but there's something really nice about how simple it is like if it's
1: nice and clean isn't it
0: yeah handballs handball yeah if you if it touches your hand and then goes in it doesn't matter what the intent is or the lead up to it that's just handball um and then Jimenez tried to score from the narrowest angle that anyone's ever tried to score a goal from and very nearly succeeded although it sort of it felt like he very nearly succeeded until you watch the replay when it's like well actually there's no space no the ball would not fit between you and the goal like it could only hit the post
1: Jimenez did that and the Rabona. I wasn't quite sure whether he was shooting or trying to cross with the Rabona. There wasn't anyone he was trying to cross to
0: look good. If ha-
1: Kind of pointless. If
0: there had been someone there, it would have been like all-time great cross though, wouldn't it? it was uh, And then Diego lot had come on and I'd forgotten him. And now, that's all I want to say about the Wolves game. Can we please talk about what Ollie said about Robin Van Persie and why he said it and what he meant?
1: <laughs> well... Okay, so let's uh, let's roll back a, a couple of steps. Van Persie's doing some punditry at the moment, and, and to praise what he said, criticised Ollie for not being more angry and smiling too much in post-match interviews after United have been beaten, which I have to say irks a lot of people on the internet as well, because you you kind of want some passion, you want to you want your anger and hurt as a fan reflected in the players and the manager, even if that's a bit, a bit trite, to put it like that, you want them to kind of show that they care. So I can understand the criticism. And, I, and I'm and i perfectly okay with Ollie biting back. He
0: said... I've got it. I've got, got it here. it. Go on, yeah. go on, read out what word, he said. Word say? for word. I don't know Robin <laughs> and Robin doesn't know me. He but, probably he probably, that's weird, doesn't have a right to criticise my management and I won't change. One of those things is true and the other one's not. Um, That's definite. He took my number 20 and that's probably all he's going to take from me as well because (laughs) I'm not in medieval times. All right, listen. (laughs) at, At some point while he's saying this stuff, it's like, okay, yeah, it's a bit petty, but he's just clapping back essentially and probably... Van Persie's quotes have been relayed to him rather than he's seen it. And he's been asked the question, what do you think of Robin Van Persie saying you're not angry enough and all that nonsense. Van Persie's English is excellent, but he does have a little bit of second language Englishness every now and again. And, you know, he was trying to make a point. And when you quote him exactly, which is what I've just done to Ollie, but when you quote him exactly, it probably sounds worse written down. So, okay, Ollie's clapping back. But what he says here doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Whatsoever. What does he mean when he says because I'm not in medieval times?
1: I don't know. I mean, the the uh, the penultimate sentence there was about he took my number twenty shirt, but that's all he's going to take. So one, Ollie's feeling very defensive, very defensive because oh, yeah. he thinks what Van Persie's criticizing him because he wants his job. I mean, Ollie gets it. Ollie gets it. Very nice from the United former United pundits, right? Gary Neville will not criticise him at all. Gary Neville would wipe up after Oli if Oli did it in the centre circle at Old Trafford. Right? They will not criticise him at all, and it was really the mildest form. It's not as if Van Persie went out there and said, "Yeah, this guy's this a guy's joke. Guys frauds, he's got, he's got yeah. no, he's yeah, he's got no right to be at a club that like Manchester United, and he's completely failing. It's about time they sacked him." Which
0: like f- at least fifty percent of the internet basically says. But I don't think it's just the internet. I think it's fifty percent of United fans. I think there, you know, I think there's a huge number of United fans that go week in, week out, as they say, who would say even if they will support the manager in the stadium, he's completely failing at this level and probably should be sacked. You know, right, right, and.
1: And, and so, look, it's a, it's probably fair criticism, and I think Ollie's feeling extremely defensive, which is the that part of what he's he's saying there. The medieval times i was trying to work—is there some kind of historical context? Did the Dutch
0: invade Norway? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> that didn't even occur to me. If it had turned out the Dutch had invaded Norway, this would be the greatest story of all time. I think it was the <laughs> other way around. To be fair, I think if you go back, like. They came down from up there and did some serious invading. They, they did,
1: yeah. I mean, had he been watching
0: Pulp Fiction that afternoon? <laughs> well, I don't know what's going on. So I, he took my number 20, and that's probably all he's going to take from me as well. So like you said, like, is he saying he's trying to take the job away from him? But he... And also, by the way, he didn't take his number 20. He... Used a vacant shirt that had been vacant for eight years or something (laughs) by that point. Sometime, yeah.
1: Well, maybe by medieval times he just means, like, in feudal times you just went and took what you wanted.
0: Yeah, yeah. Maybe
1: maybe that's what he means.
0: (laughs) But it was some seriously incoherent rambling. And by the way, to segue into a sort of somewhat serious point about this, um, whilst it might be that yeah, there's there's a bit of us that wants to see our own anger and frustration mirrored in the manager. I definitely have never really felt like that about it, but what I do want is a manager who looks like he's being authentic, who looks like he knows what he's talking about, that he isn't just putting on a sort of um, really thinly transparent, brave face when actually what he feels like is he's drowning and he doesn't know what he's doing. Now, we saw this thing, it was going around on on uh, United Out of Context on Twitter, and as I think it was Tom said uh, in our group chat, it, it's not even out of context because it's Arteta kind of like quite angrily and demonstratively making some clearly quite specific points to his team. And then it cuts to Solskjaer and he's just waving <laughs> at someone. The amount of times I've seen Solskjaer on the touchline, and on, just on telly, but you see it and you see him shout, Oi! And then nothing else. Like,
1: yeah, yeah. It,
0: there, is, there is definitely a proper fraud vibe. And now I'm, not, now I'm not saying that makes him a proper fraud. I'm just saying that vibe is definitely there when he's on the touchline. Yes,
1: there's a Wally with a Broly vibe, isn't there? Yeah, McLaren in charge of England. And and look, this does matter. It, it shouldn't matter really in terms of the, his performance as a coach, but if he's giving off the sense of of a lack of aura or gravitas, the players will pick up on that. And the fans certainly do. I mean, in, in post-match press conferences or pre-match or um, uh, whenever, he, he walks a fairly thin line because if he, the, the thing he does that annoys people is he talks happy talk all of the time, right? And and people can see through it. He pretends like, and as I said on the, the Friday pod, he said Fred and Matic were excellent. I don't know what universe that was in. Uh so um and people can see through it. They they know when United aren't playing very well and and so when he says that we are or everything's perfect or everything's great or we're progressing uh that feels inauthentic. But if he if he sounded defeatist, he would alongside his lack of aura, he would be David Moyes. Oh
0: yeah. And that's I even mean, worse. I, I don't think he should be taking a defeatist line at all. I think that would be an absolute disaster. But I think it doesn't look like he means it when he goes the other way. Like he, he just, he's, he is as a person, profoundly unconvincing in the role. And like you say, in a way, there's an an element to which that kind of almost shouldn't matter if you've got everything else working for you. But when you've also not got anything else with you, like at least Van Hal looked like a football manager. Do you know what I mean? Like, at least he was on the touchline falling over and doing doing a few bits and pieces and, you know, shouting at journalists and stuff. The, uh, the football was dreadful, but, you know, anyway, he was clearly very experienced, etc. But um, the thing... The things that he says in the press to me, uh, worry me less, is kind of lack of, like, hitting the right note there, worries me less than the vibe on the touchline, which it might be, this might be really unfair, and it might just be, like, his resting face. He's got, like, resting deer-in-the-headlights face. (laughs) Um, But that's exactly what he looks like all the time, all the time. I, I can't remember a rec- a time this season, really, where it's cut to Solskjaer on the touchline and he hasn't looked afraid, basically.
1: And he should be, because the thing that's keeping him in a job, honestly, given his win rate at, at United, sub 40%, uh, even with the, the good period, uh, is one, he's a former club legend, player, and that's why he got the job in the first place. And two... It's not a good look for Ed Woodward to sack another manager and this is very much his project. I mean, he's been telling the investors, not only, I assume, his bosses, but the wider world that this is a long-term plan, that United have a plan, that they're investing in analytics, that they've been smarter in the transfer market, that, they, that they're that they working hand in glove, that he's working hand in glove with the manager to get it done. He's tied up with the Oli project. Um, and... Not that I'd ever want to put my shoes in the the glazers, God, stuck in my throat. Then, but if I if I was in the glazer's shoes, I you know, no matter how much Woodwood has made money for them, another failure here, and I might be thinking, well, actually, hang on a minute, are you are you now in charge of a depreciating asset, uh, and it's your your decisions in the transfer market and amongst managers um, that have led to that failure?
0: Yeah, I mean uh, exactly, and and. This more than anything, for the first time ever, really, this season, it does feel like Woodward's job is under threat, or at least it should be. I mean, who who knows what's actually going on behind the scenes? Maybe he has a, they don't care enough. But but as you've discussed a number of times, the commercial stuff is not is not what it once was, is it? I mean, we're still making tons and tons and tons of money, but that that line isn't going up, is it? Um, and and there are massive potential hits. Because, you know, we've often talked about the Glazers not caring about whether United are a success or not, but but they do care that we're a Champions League club because that's where the numbers start to look right. And, League... and
1: sponsors care that United are a Champions League club. Hence yeah. the deduction in the contract with Adidas.
0: And, you know, this is, not, this is a very simple point, but there will be a generation of people growing up outside of the UK with no historic ties to Manchester United who will now start to be supporting City and Liverpool. And, you know, that is that is going to happen globally and have a big impact.
1: Or Spurs or Chelsea or Arsenal or Leicester.
0: Yeah, wow,
1: yeah. Or, or eSports or something else, you know. <laughs> awful lot of entertainment choices out there.
0: Yeah, yeah, Netflix ultras. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is Disney plus ultras. <laughs> Mandalorian, Mandalorian. <laughs> 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 right anyway uh, quite enough of this nonsense Should we take a break and then come back with some Twitter questions let's do that
1: enjoy no question about
0: that if so let others know
1: about us the best way to do that is leave us a review and a rating on iTunes and
0: hit that subscribe button And as I said at the top of the show, we're absolutely delighted to be sponsored by The Athletic, um, which is a subscription journalism service where you can find the best coverage of Manchester United and more from writers like Laurie Whitwell, who covers the club day in, day out. Um, and then their a lot of their sort of top-tier writers address United related content, people like Oliver Kay, Daniel Taylor, Adam Crafton, and uh the hitmaker himself, David Ornstein. Um, I remember when uh, Ornstein started um, saying a few things about United transfers, a whole, of United, a whole of United Twitter being like, welcome, well, hashtag welcome, David Ornstein. Ornstein. says <laughs> it, it's, uh, it's big
1: news. You know, he's got a daily, uh, daily transfer gossip podcast
0: going on with uh, Mark Chapman at the moment. Yeah, and his weekly news content ra- rounding up the stuff that's going on in the world of football. Ornstein gen-
1: generally seen as an Arsenal man, but Chappers has got proper United credentials.
0: Absolutely. Um, they've got a world-class team of writers covering the Premier League, covering uh, clubs in the Championship, and and they also um, have people like Rafa Honigstein writing about the Bundesliga. Um, they're completely ad-free, unlike this. Um, so there's no ads, no annoying pop-ups on their app. And uh, you can have a year's worth of athletic subscription for just £2.50 a month by going to theathletic.co.uk/nqatpod and of course that massively helps out the show because we we you know we're hoping that they see us as a, a viable sponsorship for the long term and really that's just if if you guys are interested that's going to be the the thing that decides that one way or another um one of the the most interesting articles I mentioned Rafa Honigstein in the Bundesliga. Uh, uh, my favorite Athletic article this week. I'm not sure if favorite is quite the right word, but definitely I don't know. Yeah,
1: I mean the the two, the two this one and Laurie Whitwell's on their uh, on United's transfer policy. But let, let's talk about this one first because it was a great insight into the
0: uh, the failed Harland. Yeah, year. and I think this is um, this is. Oh, I guess it's really it's it's Rafa Honigstein writes it from the the. The Dortmund perspective so I guess it's about a successful uh deal in that sense um but this is the kind of content that when The Athletic first came on the scene that I was kind of excited that we would see these kind of very in-depth very knowledgeable very well-placed writers sort of telling the the real story in a way that they've got the kind of room to tell the story uh right yeah I mean, Rafa Honigstein's as, as good as it gets in that in that regard and it's just like Borussia Dortmund sounds so slick compared to the three-ring circus at United.
1: Well, just some little uh, morsels from this one. They scouted him 28 times including uh, secret visits to the training ground. So Matthias Sammer, the director of football in disguise to go and check him out because they wanted to know not only could he produce it on the pitch but did he put the effort into training as well. I can just imagine that Matt Judge or Ed Woodward with a pair of Spectacles and a fake mustache on, <laughs> uh, checking out players, can't you? Um, that uh, some, some other interesting bits he, he took a lower wage than was on offer at United, oh, no, not substantially lower, apparently. Uh, and the commissions to Raiola and um, and uh, Alf Inge uh, were somewhat less than had been previously uh, printed. Um, but the the um, the uh, much reported. And uh, uh, release clause is substantially north of fifty million euros. So you know Dortmund will get a very big fee for this player if he if he is successful and when he moves on, which he will do towards the back end of his contract, so in three to five years' time. Um, and it's a model that works really well for them. And uh, I think Hunningstein points out in the article they're one of the few clubs that kind of happily work with. Raiola and seem to have a good relationship with him
0: yeah and they sort of almost build in a tolerance for his kind of quirks and idiosyncrasies that that means that they will they're prepared to kind of, kind of take the upside that he brings and and sort of ignore the downside anyway um all that and more is a an article a long article by Andy Mitten who um traveled uh, on the monkey bus to and from the Burnley games and covered that for the good people of The Athletic. I suspect perhaps some of our listeners are perhaps already familiar with that vibe in a way that, um, but I'm sure lots of people would like that kind of insight. So lots of different types of content, United related and and across the Premier League and across football in general, theathletic.co.uk, £2.50 a month for your first year. If you go to theathletic.co.uk slash NQAT pod, do it.
1: That's one of the most
0: stupid questions I've ever heard in my life. Test my patience. So, Ed, I have deleted my Twitter account in a fit of Pete. So that means that you're in charge of the questions again. How are you feeling about that transition? I don't, I don't like it, I have to say.
1: <laughs> Can I just be honest about that? It's, it's Ed, not good.
0: No, I, I, I agree. I'm sorry about that. It's one of the two things that I regret about not having a Twitter account. Okay, let's go for it.
1: So... Lucas, friend of the show, says, should we do loan deals more often? Have, have uh, we done any loan deals yet? We might be desperate enough to, I think. Incoming, well, it, I assume.
0: Yeah, I think this summer we probably need to do uh, some, this January, sorry, we need to do some loan deals. But in general, I, uh, I, I don't think us loaning in players is a particularly appropriate way for United to be conducting their business in general. Is it? Or maybe I'm. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that's greatly unfair. I
1: mean, we've so rarely done it. Uh, I think there was uh, William Prunier. <laughs> that Hen- was not good. Uh,
0: Henrik Larsson. Henrik Larsson, much more successful. Legendary loan deal, of course. Um, yeah. No. And generally
1: speaking, uh, teams do not loan out their players, and they say don't need them. Yeah. Or or their younger players. So. So uh, probably not. Um should we be putting players out on loan? Well, you know, United have used the uh, the loan system as much as any other club, yeah. say for Chelsea, I suppose. Um you could argue that Chong and Gomez should be on loan and not at the club. And yeah, you know, Chong started today and Gomez was on the bench, didn't get any time.
0: Uh we had a question on Instagram. It says uh it's from C Charlie uh ten nineteen. Um, is Woodward under enough pressure because of his emotional decision to sign Ole to actually back him and follow his plans this month and this summer? Does he want to stay CEO badly enough to not meddle in the recruitment efforts and also provide the funds? That's a great question. That's, uh, Woodward talking a very big game about not being involved in transfer dealings. And then some very Woodwardy leaks came out after the Harland thing. I, mean, I don't know that. That's pure speculation, of course.
1: Yeah, I think he's quite intimately involved because of uh he, he enjoys it. Like like all the reporting on this is pointed this direction. Woodward likes being involved. Uh he he feels it's there's a bit of glory associated with it. Uh he is involved. He might not be scouting players. You know, have an analyst's department, a head scout, uh, who bring them a long list, but he and Matt Judge negotiates the final contract or whatever it is. But uh he has played a large uh, portion, uh, a large role in United's transfer dealings over the last six years. The only time it's been successful for United is when he doesn't and just leaves it to the agents and United spunk 20 million on agents fees.
0: Uh, yeah, and then the agents brief in the papers and it's, oh, it's a whole thing. We're, we're a mess. We're a mess. Um, I can't remember if I asked you about this, but I promised Jay Markland one on Instagram that I would ask you about this on the show, which is who do you think fits the right play the profile of the right players? United can realistically buy this transfer window. I think we had a little talk about it on the last show, but I'm interested. Are there players that you can think of that we could realistically get in this transfer window where you'd go? Yep. These, this is where we should be investing our our central midfielder number 10 money.
1: Yeah. Interesting one. And probably a, bit of advance notice would have helped. Uh, have <laughs> Sorry about thinking that. about that. Um, look, um, I remember a couple of seasons ago we did a uh, Who Should United being, Be Buying in the Summer uh, discussion right at the end of the season. Maybe it wasn't last summer, maybe the summer before. I mentioned Julian Weigel at the time. He's just moved from Dortmund to Benfica. Now, he looked awesome a couple of years ago, uh, like he was going to be a really world-class defensive midfielder. Apparently... He has suffered somewhat, so, so someone I was talking to um, uh, assures me, and because uh, he looked way too good to be playing in the Portuguese league. So two years ago, I'd have said him. Um, yeah. And obviously, you know, chance creations are a problem, so it's really obvious to say James Madison, but you know, he creates so many, he would just be a perfect fit for United right there's,
0: now. There's just no way on God's green earth Not Leicester are selling us James Madison in this January transfer window. Like... They 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 didn't sell Riyad Mahrez to City. What two and a half transfer windows after they'd won the league when things were, were it was like they weren't competing for the Champions League that season. Like they are they are a hard nosed side. Yeah, I will. Uh, I'll put together a list and we'll talk about it on Thursday. All right, great. Sorry about that. Um, all right, it's over to you for some some more questions from the people on Twitter. Then
1: all right. Ben, Taylor Ben on Twitter says, why is our decision-making in the final third so bad? Also, Williamson number number one left-back slot. So on the second point, yes, obviously, he's clearly the best left-back at the club. The only thing you should be doing at this point is uh, protecting him and resting him. um, So perhaps he shouldn't have played against Wolves and Luke Shaw should have. Uh, Yeah. Um, Decision-making so bad in the final third, we just don't have players who make the right decisions consistently.
0: I mean... So. Who makes bad decisions in the final third in the United side? All our number tens,
1: except for Wan Matter, who can't run
0: around. And very how fast. many of them are actually making bad decisions versus executing badly on reasonable decisions? Like I'm not, I'm not. I don't. I feel like the, again, there's there's a little bit of like slight groupthink around this particular idea that we make terrible decisions in the final third. Whereas really, it's like we lack. Quality in the final third a lot of the time, rather than it's not like Pereira's relentlessly looking for the wrong pass or massively often shooting when he should have passed. It does happen for sure, but it it does happen to the best players. They make bad decisions sometimes, so I I wonder whether it would be worth watching a game, kind of taking a bit of a like a litany of the good decisions they make that didn't come off because they're not good enough. You know, I'm not I'm not saying they're brilliant. I'm just saying I, I wonder whether this specific criticism is actually right. And But I do think the lack of coherency in the final third is down to a, a kind of lack of plan, in a way.
1: Yeah, and we've talked about that a fair bit, haven't we? And uh, how poor United's sort of attacking structures often are and, and we're still reliant on individual talent, of which there is plenty. Illy on Twitter says, if not, when Ollie is inevitably sacked, what will it take for Saf to say something, anything, about the way the club is being run into the ground?
0: Oh, he'll never say anything about that ever.
1: No, not a thing. I mean, we've I mean, look, it it uh, it grated with me significantly when he was manager that he refused to say anything. In fact, was openly hostile towards fans protesting. So he made his bed. He has Lied down in it for some time now and uh, you know maybe at the point the Glazers leave the club.
0: He still won't say it then because he's said so often that they're good owners and he would not go back on something that he said publicly over and over and over again because that's not the sort of person he is. He's many, many, many fine qualities, but um, uh, stubbornness is certainly among his personal characteristics. Shout out to Willie. Long time, long time listener.
1: Indeed. Adam Salmon says, Who in the right mind takes Luke Shaw and his wages off our hands this summer?
0: And this is our, this is a, it's not just a Luke Shaw problem, is it? This this is a half our squad problem.
1: Yeah, so uh, just to expand the question, uh, since you already have. Young's out of contract, won't be given a new one. Matic out of contract, not getting a new one. Good, good. Luke Shaw... <laughs> Jesse Lingard, Andres Pereira, all on big contracts. I mean, the first two very big contracts, Andres less so, all need to be shipped out, I think, in order to make a, a better team. Sanchez he, he, Sanchez is still contracted to United for another couple of years, so we'll be yeah, paying so him a, off to leave, no doubt.
0: He's a real out of sight or out of mind thing, Alexis Sanchez, isn't it? But he still exists and he's probably still taking... I mean, I'm sure Inter aren't paying all his wages, are they? No, they're not. Uh, and then, of course, One matter is on a, a... He's got two and a half years left on his contract or whatever it is.
1: <laughs> at least, at least, oh. at least a bit of ray of hope when we're talking about contracts. David Moyes' contract comes to an end in the summer.
0: <laughs> at last. Oh, talking to David Moyes, did you know... And this might be incorrect, but this is a fact that may, in fact, be incorrect. And I would like to be corrected if it is. But certainly since Busby, and we think possibly ever, there's never been two X-Man United managers managing two top flight teams uh, at the same time, possibly ever. Which is very interesting, I thought, because a number of people suggested that Sexton and Doherty were at, I think, Coventry and Wolves at the same time. But one of them took over Wolves... Um, just after they got relegated, so not two top flight clubs. Interesting. Yeah, I didn't know that. Nor had I thought about yeah, it. But go. great. No, nor 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 actually is it interesting. But it does sort of say something about something. I'm just not quite sure. Yeah, you know
1: who's saying something? Drew McCulley. He says, "Would it serve Ollie better to skip the anger phase of the players and just go to the straight straight to the I'm disappointed phase?"
0: <laughs> I think he's probably very much uh, I mean all they all say like uh, players that used to play with him and certainly the current dressing room we're going to talk to Sam Homewood who hopes that hosts the Manchester United podcast I, I talked to him the other day and we're going to play that interview in a minute um and Lingard said this on the United podcast David May has said it repeatedly about what Solskjaer's like as a person he's got a very tough side like he he has he gets angry that's not a problem. I just don't think he does it in public, but he he does do it. But he could probably do with showing a little bit of that occasionally, at least.
1: Look, I'm sure he is. I'm sure. Look, I'm sure he's tough. He's a he's a. He had a very long professional career. Went through quite a lot with injuries. He's been manager for quite a long time. Has had some success, albeit in the Norwegian league when they're not being invaded by the Dutch or, or whatever it is. <laughs> Um, so, look, I'm sure there's some steel to him. It's just the persona is like a little boy in the school playground, isn't it? FRAC on Twitter says, Who's more united? Rance, Goldbridge or Reddish and Star? Oh, jeez. I mean, have you been following the... Uh, since you're off uh, social media, the who's the topper red fan cam discussion thing that's going around
0: at the moment? Oh, no. I'm very upset about this. Can we can we make an executive decision about this point not to cover this subject on the show because it's such I, I, I think the fact that like
1: um all these exist uh, red Issue's a slightly different like kettle of fish isn't it <laughs> but, I, mean, I mean it was kind of funny red issue a long string on Twitter uh, having to go at goldbridge and uh, ransom Bants and uh, full-time devils and and so on and um uh, linking them to big media. Um, and, you know, in, in in doing so, like, trashing the we're just fans sort of narrative
0: around some of these channels. Fun times! Yeah, Red Issue have also gone off about a number of different subjects, many of which are extraordinarily unpalatable. Um, and, yeah, I, the idea that they are the voice of, I mean, you know when they when they stopped publishing the magazine it was because the game had moved on from what they wanted it to be and what they wanted it to represent and um i think some of that was for the worse but some of it frankly is for the better without that aspects of what they stood for and stand for and all that kind of stuff you know so
1: yeah i'm i'm not sure i know what red issues stood for or stand for i mean sure there's a, there's a, an old school fandom vibe to it um and and the world does move on and i can imagine given the sort of dripping dripping sarcasm that used to be uh in fact that's perhaps not even the right word for a red issue but the uh the the tone that red issue used to take in its editorial that um it would not
0: approve of modern day social media fandom but that's fine like that part of it I think I would broadly agree with a lot of it, but there's been stuff that they've done which goes way further than that and is actually quite unpleasant. Because so anyway, that's that's
1: yeah. So the expose of Charlie Clitt is still one of the funniest things ever on the internet.
0: Um. Ah. Uh, I yeah. I can't even bother. To, um. <laughs> uh, yeah. There's. There's. I. I think the. Never mind. Um, and yet yeah, the, uh, answer to that question is at least Goldbridge is like really funny. Sometimes when he does his partridge stuff, that's, that's, that stuff's good. Um, and, and also I do get really sick of the kind of, Oh, they're not proper United fans. Cause they, I don't know. Cause they've got a YouTube channel. What, like what the hell? Like it's, a, it's a thing. People have YouTube channels. They like, we do this podcast. We've done it for 10 years. like, I guess it's not exactly the same, but what's the difference really? Like, yeah, you could, like, you've got impeccable, historic Man United home and away credentials. I haven't, you know, I just, we just started doing this. I've been to loads more games since we did this, started doing this than I'd been to before we started doing this because it's provided the opportunity to do so. Like Top red. Top
1: red right there.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you know, but do you know what I mean? I'm exactly saying, like, I'm literally in no way... Would I have any top red credentials whatsoever, historically speaking? So it's all nonsense. It's all absolute nonsense. Great. Let's move on, shall we? We'll take this quick break
1: and then we'll be back with Paul's interview with Sam Homewood from MUTV and Love Island.
0: Which one do you talk about? Mostly mostly MUTV, to be fair. For ad-free versions of this podcast, consider backing us. Head to patreon.com slash nqatpod. So we are absolutely delighted to be joined on the show by Sam Homewood uh, from MUTV and the official Manchester United podcast. I guess we have to boo at this point because we're like technically big, big time podcast rivals now, Sam.
2: I think we're, um, we are, we're like, uh, Sam. two, we're like, the, we're like a swan. Like Manchester United is a swan of podcast. This makes no yeah. sense. But in my head, this made sense. If, okay. if a swan yeah. is made of Manchester United podcasts, you're the wings yeah. and we're the feet. <laughs> we're Lovely. different parts of the same animal. Yeah. Because we offer different I, things. I feel like, in a
0: way, we're the feet and you're the wings because you're the sort of graceful, pretty stuff above I the see. surface. And we're the kind of ugly, messy underbelly of... No, this is... We <laughs> need to stop this. This riff has gone, it's gone in a disastrous it's gone direction. <laughs> you wouldn't get this talking to Jesse Lingard, would you? Well, you might um, do. <laughs> So, um sam as i'm sure many of our listeners know uh used to be um one of the 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 faces of full time devils uh and is now uh has been um amalgamated into the beautiful institution that is manchester united and uh is is a face that we are very familiar with from uh, m u t v and um now of course the your voice is getting more and more familiar because of the podcast can you can you tell us a little bit about how, how the podcast came to be and what your sort of plan for it has been?
2: Well, funnily, I, I was on a train or something and I thought, oh, that would be loads of fun. I'd really like to do a May United podcast. I think that would be great. And this, so then I spoke to someone at MUTV and they were already like, it was already happening behind the scenes. Oh wow! And I just turned up and went, oh, I've got this great idea. And they're like, yes, these ideas already exist. Don't worry, we've got a team. <laughs> uh we existed long before I arrived uh, and they will do long after i'm gone um but yeah, and it just uh we did a we did a test we did a couple of tests Well, not test is the wrong word, but just sometimes it's difficult to get everybody in the same place uh and then we did so the david may episode actually that's out now um was just just to see how because obviously it, so if you're not aware the podcast is hosted by myself David may and helen Evans, and then we have a a guest. And the first one we did that became the David May podcast was just the first time we all sat down and talked into microphones just to see how it would come out. And with Maisie being a former player, we used his him, him as the the linchpin. Uh, and actually, we thought it was really good. So it is now you can now listen to it. But that wasn't specifically made to be released. It was just um, it just went well, I think. And actually, he was fascinating.
0: Yeah, it's one of the it's one of the interesting things about um the show because when I when I first heard Manchester doing an official podcast, my first reaction, perhaps unsurprisingly, was one of slight cynicism. Uh and then I realized you were doing it. I was like, "Oh, well, I'll definitely listen at that point." Um and then um I think I picked and chose a little bit because it was a few weeks into it being out. Um and then I realized, no, picking and choosing is not the way. Like this every episode of it is good in a different way. There's So what was the sort of um what was the idea behind it? What's the kind of creative direction of it, I guess, is the question I'm asking.
2: So my view is this. And I think the, the guy who produces them all, I think conveniently has exactly the same view. So we talk to current players and we talk to former players. And in my head, the the approach is different. So with Former players. What's really fun is—is is I want to find out what their motivation was, like the psychology behind. Like, so when we spoke to Dimitar Berbatov, I wanted to know what made him like he is because he's a fascinating guy. Yeah, where he played football was so different to everybody else, and and at the time he just he sort of stood out, and people called him lazy, but clearly he wasn't. And just thought I want to get behind your motivations, how you got to where you were, and then of course because they've retired, uh, let's let's hear some of those great stories, things that. Maybe they've told other people, but ideally ones they haven't um, because they're a bit safer to tell their stories now that they're retired. So yeah. I think you have a really nice time uh, looking through, one, the life of somebody and, and what got them there. And two, just some of the funny things that happened along the way. And then with the current players, my view, my view on it anyway is that from outside football, so if we take Wayne Rooney as a generic example who hasn't done a podcast, but hopefully he will one day, he, to everybody here, when you say his name, you will conjure up a a picture of who this person is. Yeah. But actually, that could be miles off the mark because it's built by the personality you see on a football pitch, which is often totally different to the personality of a football pitch. And then the caricature that's made from the media and from social media, and you sort of put a person together from that. But really, that's that's not who they are at all. So I like to get to... Get a bit to the bottom of the actual human behind this famous face. That's my view of it. It's it's just to try and get a little bit of, um, a little bit of not that's not personality, but just just something deeper than just Jesse Lingard plays in attacking midfield, um, likes to dance when he scores. Like, there's more to him than that, and I think it's 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 getting those bits that's interesting to me. It's that's what's interesting. Um, and I'm fascinated by people's motivations, so to trying to get those out of people too is, I think, fun.
0: Yeah. So the the Jesse Lingard podcast was kind of the 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 take that was picked up around the place. Because of course, when you do anything United related, um, I remember when I was first in press conferences, and I'd ask the manager a question, and then the next day you'd see like that being talked about in the papers, and I, you'd kind of. I have like a mental thing of like, oh no! I was just asking because I was interested. I didn't, I didn't kind of expect anyone to be talking about this. Um, but the Lingard thing a lot got picked up in in the press about um, his th- the idea that he's kind of distracted from football by his other interests is such utter nonsense.
2: Yes, and that, I mean that's sort of why I wanted to ask him and thought it presumably that isn't the case presumably he isn't that passionate necessarily about all these other things aside from football otherwise i don't think you can make it i don't think you could get to play for manchester united if you weren't entirely totally committed to that goal yeah so it's sort of fun to ask but then of course when he was saying like you know i'm not sat at home stitching hoodies for people (laughs) so then i think a lot of people would sit back and go oh yeah of course he's not the other the other thing i particularly liked about
0: that interview is a bit more personal it's just, I remember when you interviewed Jesse for Full Time Devils when he was at Brighton. What was it like for you to talk to him, kind of a, a, another kind of sit down in depth interview with him sort of five or six maybe years down the line? He just looks like a tiny child
2: in that old interview. Well, what's funny is we talked about it before we started. Right. Because I didn't know if he would remember, but I have spoken to him Um like at Old Trafford, not a lot or anything, but like uh, pass him in the tunnel or whatever and just sort of say hello. But I didn't know if that was a thing he would specifically remember or anything because he's, he's, I mean, he's constantly doing interviews and things, isn't he? You you can't not if you play for Manchester United. And he said straight away that he remembered and he was like, yeah, obviously we were sat in the stand and for me, when I spoke to him then, he was such, um, like he seemed so committed to his dream and Mm. I am, I've loved watching him succeed because he was such a nice person to speak to then. And I didn't feel he was any different. He's, just, he's, like, he's quite quiet. I think he's quite humble. It um, just, just seems, whenever I've met him, he's been really nice. And I just sort of thought, he, I did, he didn't appear to have changed to me. It's, it's pretty nice, that. It's a pretty nice
0: thing. And you, you do get the impression from, you know, hearing stuff about his family that there's a, there's a real kind of groundedness to his back, backstory and all that.
2: He also does things, I think, that people are happy to ignore. Like, so a couple of years ago, on the last day of the season, like, he went to hotel football and bought everybody a drink. Yeah,
0: before Stockholm.
2: Yeah, that's not something you hear a lot of, of football players doing that, or or feeling like they can go and mix with fans like that. Yeah,
0: and do you remember when, um, it, I think it might have been the FA Cup final, where he FaceTimed his brother on into the dressing room on FTD? yeah. I thought it was really nice. Yeah, it was. was. Um, another person who came across really well when you were interviewing them was Ashley Young. And there's always, you know, a slight thing as a person who talks about football and analyses it, where you're like, oh, I've been really harsh on this person, but they seem ever so sound. Um, but I've always thought of him as someone who seemed ever so sound. But we, we have to talk about it because it's the thing. It's Maybe you've been doing this for, you know... Ten weeks or, or more now, and this is the thing that has attracted by far the most attention. Uh, no bird ever pooed in Ashley Young's mouth. Ed, but Ed, by the way, my podcast co-host is an absolute Ashley Young bird poo truther. He does not buy this story.
2: So I found out about a week before the podcast because I said to someone, "I was like, obviously, I'm going to ask him about the bird poo in its mouth." And straight away they went, "But well, but it didn't happen. Why would you do that?" And I could not get it out of my head because like everybody else, it's so obvious it's so clear we've got a it's gift up you you can't avoid it but it doesn't happen the what happens is Johnny Evans spits over his behind him and it all just links up perfectly on camera and it just that's what it looks like is happening and it's it's extraordinary just a little bit of behind the scenes
0: here. We're, we're recording this um, in the hope that we'll be able to uh, use the local audio, but uh, it's possible that we might you might be hearing the Skype recording uh, of this right now. And if you are, you'll have heard that break up at the key moment where we lost internet. Which I kind of feel like is it's the CIA denying us the truth about this. <laughs> um, all right, so I, I wanted to talk a little bit about your transition to. MUTV, because obviously you've done loads of TV stuff, been on uh, CITV for years and years and years and years. And then you started doing full-time Devils and did an absolutely fantastic job. Like it was, you were a, a really sort of different voice and all of that. And, and I liked it because you like things that are silly, which is, you know, that's this is really good. <laughs> um, what was it like transitioning from doing fan coverage to going into mutv was it something you had to kind of think about carefully or was it like a instant no-brainer for you
2: um i don't think i ever really thought about it much but but actually i hadn't really done a lot of full-time devils for a long time uh before i started at mutv maybe the, the like a rare thing now and again um but when, like like years ago i was doing loads for them And then just due to to various circumstances and my work schedule and their work schedule and how it it all is made, um, it just – so I hadn't actually done a lot for them. And I never really thought about it. I just – I don't know. Maybe I don't think about things. I just thought, (laughs) I'll just give this my best go and see what happens. Yeah. Because I didn't really know what would happen. I just sort of turned up one day and everyone was really nice. What's it been like? Uh, it's, um, I keep having to pinch myself and remember that I am technically at work because I am having the absolute best time. Yeah. Because not only because I love Manchester United and I love football, but also, and, and this is huge, the people are so incredibly nice. And I think if you work with really nice people, you'll have a lovely time. Sort of doesn't matter really what you do. If you enjoy what you're doing and the people are nice, You'll be having a great day. And I think that is what I have. There have been, I did shake Sir Alex Ferguson's hand. That was uh, pretty mind-blowing. Um, so that was a big moment, just just to try and remember I'm a normal um, uh, adult man and not to react <laughs> like, a, like a screaming child, yeah. um, which i just about managed. But as soon as he walked off, I lost my mind completely. <laughs> <laughs> He's sort of like God. Yeah, um, but apart from that, yeah, I sort of just try and remember that I'm supposed to be at work. <laughs> has um has anything surprised you about it? Oh, that's a good question. I don't think I was prepared for such good questions. Not that oh, it was
0: a surprise. It was a surprise question about surprise. yeah. I
2: liked it. Has anything surprised me? Um, maybe that, and I, you know, I didn't really know this. Going, I hadn't really done. Um, you know, when you like you watch pundits on the telly. Yeah you don't really know what what's happening off screen and and so on like like Wes Brown for example he's so nice right because having worked in television other instances when the cameras are off some people are very different to how they are when the cameras are <laughs> on yeah and you you don't know especially when people because people I think people can very easily be affected by fame and stuff um so like you know better to try not to Go insane with it, but it happened and that's you know it's not the end of the world. Um But but so I didn't know you know what's West Brown going to be like when the cameras aren't rolling. He is just the nicest guy. You'd never believe he was a professional footballer.
0: It's interesting, isn't it? And I wonder whether you know. Obviously, this is like very. It's very individually, personally driven. But you know, do you remember the column, the
2: secret footballer in the Guardian? I read the book. I know I'd never read it in the Guardian. I don't think, but I read his book. Right. So there's a thing about that that always used to strike me, which was basically
0: every week it was like, oh my God, professional football sounds like an absolute cesspit. And then it was just basically like brackets at the end, brackets, none of this really applies to Alex Ferguson's Manchester United. <laughs> and it does feel like he sort of created
2: a, a genuinely fairly unique culture. Yeah. Um, well, I think, I can't remember if it was off my head, but someone who was on the, podcast or maybe i'm, I'm being careful who to say because we've we've recorded some that haven't gone out yet i don't want to give anything away so right, maybe it's right, someone right. who hasn't been out yet but basically said that during that era even though you're turning up to training and you are like working and working and working and, and until you're like feeling physically sick because you're doing so much exercise and so on because of the culture and because of the players and because of the spirit in the team that it never once felt like work For yeah the other clubs in other environments you turn up and it's like, oh, I'm going to have to do loads of running or whatever. But so, yeah, I think there was a very, very special thing happening there. Yeah. And it it really comes
0: across with the players you talk to. and, And, and I think that, that it isn't just the same old stories that we've heard loads of times before. There is, you know, that you've found a really nice way of getting, getting some, some real freshness from people that, you know, some of those people are people that we've heard a lot from, not, not all of them, but you know, it's, it's, it's been really nice to listen to it, and and uh, it's 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 brilliant. And um, so, one thing I wanted to say is, I'm so so proud of you for drawing this link. Right when we were talking about when you were talking about Ashley Young and the the bird poop situation, you drew the quick link that he is the person who can actually answer the question. Would you rather a bird had pooed in your mouth and no one knew about it, or a bird hadn't pooed you in your mouth, but everyone was absolutely certain that, they, that it had?
2: Yeah, uh, someone asked me a, a similarly themed question years ago. Um, wasn't exactly that, and I just it just seemed like the right the right time to ask someone who was on one side of the coin.
0: It's perfect. Um, all right, so let's talk about dream guests then. So Fergie's off the table because that's the 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 obvious answer, isn't it, as, as dream guests? Who who are your other kind of dream guests for the United podcast? We, we this, as um, a
2: group talk about this all the time. And the name that comes up most is Cantona. Oh, yeah. And it's, it's just um, finding the way to make that work. Um, so, I mean, sometimes it's difficult because you can get, like me, like you don't, I, I'm very aware that you don't always want to meet your heroes. Yeah. Because... There's a there's something really fun about like even as an adult like having these people like like having people on a pedestal and being like I don't want to just this this image of you I've had since childhood is just perfect even though I'd really like to meet them sometimes I feel like oh, we could just leave it because then I can live in my dream um, <laughs> but uh, David Beckham obviously yeah Paul skulls so sort of anyone anyone that won the treble right uh, would be great and. I mean, Rio would be good. Yeah, Patrice Evra would be good.
0: That's got it. That is surely going to happen at some point. It feels like, that feels inevitable.
2: I hope so. Uh, I'd really like to do John Shea. Right. Because think what an interesting career he had. Yeah. Um, Edwin van der Sar I'd also like to speak to because I think he would be interesting. Just because he seems like an interesting guy sort of thing. Yeah, just because he's... He, he, like, he's, he's, like, he's really been around, and also, I, I, am still fascinated by his career at Fulham. <laughs> yeah, which is the yeah. least interesting part of his career, but that it, he was there like seven years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is just yeah. utterly bizarre.
0: Yeah, there's an intense loyalty that you kind of perceive from Edwin van der Sar based on that time. Yeah, Fabian Bartes about... also. He seems
2: mad. Right.
0: This is you're day. just now list,
2: list listing every United player. Yeah, there's no one I wouldn't want to do it with. Right. Oh the okay. the Silvers I'd really
0: like. I was just, you know when when I said I was you listing every United player I was suddenly thought you haven't mentioned the De Silva twins and that would be amazing I think. I like how Rafael De Silva is still a very committed. He's basically just part of Man United football Twitter, isn't he at this point?
2: Well they um apparently they just loved it. They loved life in Manchester and they took to every Mancunian thing they could get themselves involved in.
0: Just like madly into the Stone Roses, yeah, just loved it. All right, so my last question is kind of a bit of a is is a big one. So what, on on a match day, what do you do? Like, what's a match day like for you when you're
2: doing MUTV stuff? It depends on my role because um, I do a, a different things depending on the day of the match. Not no, not depending on whether <laughs> on it's a when, Saturday a or a Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not what I meant. Uh, I, I sometimes I'll do different things. So sometimes I will. Um, be there to speak to fans and um, sort of gather atmosphere, as it were. So I'll talk to fans before the game, like outside Old Trafford or in some of the suites or on the concourse, and or even inside this, like in their seats at Old Trafford, um, right. and then do sort of the same at half time and full time and stuff like that, which is really fun. Um, and other times I will uh, sort of anchor the show. If you imagine watching like a Champions League game, or on like um BT Sport like Jake Humphrey's role in the studio with the guests and and trying to keep the debate going and and stuff like that. So it depends on depends on which role I have. Um both are incredibly fun. Um both ways I watch the game. And um do you know what? I couldn't tell you which is better because they're right, right. brilliant for different reasons. Like it's really fun to run around and talk to people and and have a laugh doing that but from like a, a professional point of view sitting in the studio and it feels like a bigger, feels like a bigger event in terms of, um, television presenting. So I love doing that. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's sort of, so, so that's what I sort of turn up and just talk. And then the so, football is played and then I carry on talking. If you're doing the, uh, in studio
0: anchor role, cause th- that's, that's something that we've all grown up with. Like, obviously, um, There are fans whose primary relationship with football is through attendance at games. And then there are fans whose primary relationship is through the TV. And obviously there's kind of hybrids of both. But um, we've all watched so much football on TV. And I don't know, I can't watch it without thinking like, oh God, I wish they would do X, Y or Z. Like what are you what are you looking to bring to that role as as the
2: anchor of those shows? What do you think your job is in that situation? So my I try to remember that whilst football is brilliant and I think is more emotive to the fans um physically than any other sport, I would hope that because I'm not the most serious person. I would hope that I could bring um, a, just a little bit of levity, maybe, to what is sometimes an, a very serious thing. I.e., like when you watch a game of football, sometimes they talk about it in the studio, and sometimes I think, "Yeah, but come on, guys, he's just hit and hope that he's just flown in, isn't it?" And and I think sometimes they take things a bit seriously, and yeah. I try to keep in mind that this is it's entertainment it's escapism and it yeah. should be brilliant and enjoyable and i think the experience you're although it you know it's not true it doesn't happen to me but the, the the ideal in my head is the experience of enjoying a game of football should outweigh the result of the game of football yeah and whilst it doesn't and it doesn't to me either it should because otherwise what's the point? Yeah. If if. If when united drew with everton, if that ruined your weekend that is that's that's bad because now you've like you've you've allowed what should be an external joy to affect the the real things that you're enjoying as a person with your one lifetime on this spinning rock that we live on and as I say it happens to me too so it's not like I'm accusing anybody of doing things that they shouldn't but I'd just like to to remember that we should all be enjoying it and and that that's the the main focus. So I hope that's what I can bring. Whether I do or not, I have no idea. Well, well, you definitely have to my life, Sam. So thanks for coming. Thanks
0: for coming on the show. It's much appreciated. Um, so uh, where can people
2: find uh your stuff? So the uh, the official Manchester United podcast, in which we just natter with um a former player or current player, is available on all of the podcast platforms. Yeah, just called which- United Podcast. You, uh,
0: honestly it's a nightmare for our seo but listen good luck to you <laughs> all right Brill. thanks sam cheers Paul. i have seen a lady who plays the saxophone give her a big applause and a massive thanks to sam for coming on the show sam's a a, a, a lovely chap and, and a good friend and and i really genuinely wholeheartedly something i kind of never thought i'd say I wholeheartedly recommend the official Manchester United podcast. Currently be behind to... us in
1: the charts. Just just saying. Just, maybe, it's, yeah, maybe it's to do with the presenters.
0: <laughs> um, it's definitely not to do with the quality of guests because uh, I think Sam would probably even vouch for having him on our show is not as good as him having Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer on his show. <laughs> so, you know, um, anyway, uh, I really appreciate Sam uh, taking the time to talk to us uh, and especially, you know, um, working at United and still being prepared to talk to us, I, I thought that was lovely of him. And uh, but it's not a surprise because he's a lovely fella.
1: I, I go and work out on uh, weekday and weekend mornings, and uh, he's often on the TV in my gym. And it's very confusing because it's not MuTV. He does uh, ITV morning children's TV as well.
0: Yes, absolutely, and he's very good at it. Um, so. Uh... Oh, Do you hear that big sigh? That was the uh, that was the incoming city preview sigh. I mean, I don't know. Last time was incredibly terrified about this game, and we just beaten in Tottenham. Um, I am even more terrified of this game this time. I maybe maybe we'll see that absolutely electric performance from United again, but it'll be an even bigger surprise if that happens this time because you know, especially without McTominay did. I don't know if he, maybe he didn't play in those games, but um, oh, it's terrifying. Yes, I, look, I'm not looking
1: forward to Nemanja in in midfield. And I know there's a section of the United support that still likes him, but I think he's incredibly ineffective when you've got people putting him under pressure. And he's going to be under pressure all of the time in this one, which I think means United are going to struggle to do two things. One is connect midfield and attack which we're going to need to do really well if we're going to break because presumably they'll have 60 plus percent possession, even at Old Trafford, um, and we'll need to be able to break quickly in order to um, put, put them in, uh, under any kind of pressure and create chances. So, yeah, I mean, we know the pattern of this game. United will have to defend really, really well and do it for long periods of the game um, both through the middle, um, but especially uh, against the overload on the flanks, which City are extremely good at exploiting. And we're going to have to take advantage of transitions in play to, to create chances against them, and which which could happen. I mean, they um, we're recording this before City played Port Vale in the FA Cup. Port Vale's lead striker, whose name I forget now, um, was making fun of John Stones this week, saying he'd score 40 goals a season against him if he could play him every week. So there's a there's a bit of a soft underbelly to City, of course, um, at the moment given given the number of injuries they've got. But you know, it's it's as tough as it gets for United, and
0: and we're not in as good shape as when we beat them just a few weeks ago. A player who I've never heard of scored in that game for City, um, which is now finished 4-1 to City against Port Vale. Um, uh, a player called Taylor Harwood Bellis scored in that game for City. Literally, never heard of him. Uh,
1: You're not a modern young player unless you've got a double barrel. Uh, no, name.
0: exactly. It's a it is a thing. Uh, Phil Foden also played and scored. Um, God bless Phil Foden for sticking it out at City. I wonder if you'll... he's the best player Pep's ever worked with. <laughs> Imagine, honestly, like Pep says some crazy things, but. Pep worked with Leo Messi. Leo Messi. The best player any human has ever worked with. Um, since they lost to us... Oh,
1: no, well, no, no, be, no. Come on. Not as good as Phil Jones. Come on. Fergie said it.
0: Since uh, since they lost to us, they beat Zagreb 4-1, City, uh, Arsenal 3-0, Oxford 3-1, Leicester 3-1. Then they lost to Wolves away. And then they beat Sheffield United 2-0 at home, beat Everton 2-1 at home and beat Port Vale 4-1 at home. So basically, the one blip since since we blipped them was that Wolves game. Um,
1: Tom Pope did score in that game. Good. I'm glad he could back up his hubris
0: with goals. <laughs> yeah, that's what we like. That is what we like. Um, will Marcus Rashford back up his uh, Manchester, is red hubris with goals? He definitely could because you can get at them they they have i mean they conceded 3 to wolves you know and that wasn't that long ago albeit that was kind of the beginning of the christmas fixture list period but it was the beginning of it not the sort of thick of it so it's not like it's not like they are an invulnerable machine in the way that they have been in recent seasons it's just that like you say i think the the my biggest reason for pessimism in this game and if you told me that i'd be saying this 18 months ago i would have laughed is the kind of, it's going to be Matic instead of McTominay in the center of midfield. And, and McTominay was, that's probably his best game in the United shirt in terms of how defensively significant he was. And and we don't have anyone to, to play that role. And our defenders are not in great form. So, it's going to be a massive. Well, back ask. to
1: our back to our previous question about who could we buy? A cheeky hundred million pound bid for N'Golo Kanté?
0: <laughs> yes, please. Yes, tomorrow, please. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Get him in. Maybe do it tonight so they can get the registration papers done in time. Mm-hmm. Transfer window is open. Yeah, I mean, look, you're
1: right. City, uh, City have not been up to their very high, high standards, have they? Um, but just think of the think of the players they've got to cause us damage, you know? Uh, Gabriel Jesus didn't play today, Rian Mahrez didn't play today, Raheem Sterling didn't play today, all be fresh, Aguero scoring scoring goals, lots of goals this season. Uh, and Pep wanted him out of the team a couple of years ago, but he just can't stop scoring goals. Foden won't start, but you know, uh, amazing young talent. Bernardo's not having his best season, but a great, you know, awesome last season. And so it's like, it's all there for them to put it together. The thing that has failed them is, is defensively. And and it was, uh, you know, and Pep would say he'd been undermined by two things. City's refusal to buy a new defender uh, and then, you know, uh, injury to uh, Merrick Laporte, who was probably the second best defender in the league last season.
0: Yeah, and, you know, they're having a a season where they're sort of being roundly criticised left, right and centre. And, you know, it's a terrible, disastrous season. And they are 13 points better off than us in the league and have a goal difference of plus 32 to our plus seven.
1: Yes, but they spend a billion pounds in the transfer market or whatever it is over the last two seasons. I'm not
0: saying I'm not. I'm not saying they don't deserve some opprobrium. I just mean uh, the extent of their collapse has been perhaps overstated, especially when you compare it to the uh, gentle kid gloves with which Ali Solskjaer's Manchester United get treated a lot.
1: Yes, and, and the opprobrium should really be pointed at if if there is going to be opprobrium about City about their sport-washing owners. But that's uh, another topic and we'll have people on the internet telling us that we're quinoa munching snowflakes or whatever if we go into that
0: i really like we, that that review was from a am not a big ago. fan of quinoa no, to be honest i was gonna say like i feel like this is only 50 percent fair i i am as par- like i'm a parody of who you would expect me to be diet wise like been vegetarian for 20 years quinoa is like genuinely one of my favorite foods but ed ed's not really a quinoa tofu type do you know what I mean? Like this is this is this is a, a wildly unfair accusation that some randomer made on the internet a year ago. I,
1: I chase wildebeests around you know, my neck of the woods and eat them raw.
0: Yeah, clearly. Um, <laughs> so, anyway, uh, we've got to predict the outcome of this game. For some reason, we're gonna get we're gonna get smashed. Yeah, I reckon we're gonna lose three one.
1: Yeah, I think it might be even worse than that. I, I think wow. part of the, part of the problem is that um, I. I'm not sure that this United side, as constituted and is likely to constitute on Tuesday night, will deal very well with going behind against this City side. So I think we can keep him out for a long time. Doesn't matter if it's back to the wall for 89 minutes, then there's something to fight for. Um, but if we go down,
0: then I wonder whether we'll crumble. Yeah. All right. So uh, hopefully, Marcus Rashford will score within the third minute. And we'll put it and we'll have something to defend we'll put it all together because that's the other thing that could happen. you know we we have put it all together, yeah. four or five times this season or let's say three or four times this season, and we've looked really good doing it. so that definitely could happen. I just think if you're projecting the potential likelihood of that happening in this game to me, it seems not particularly likely. okay, Brill, thanks for listening, everyone. Patreon backers. stay tuned for more. everyone else we'll see you next week.
1: See you on Friday. Bye now.